Hey flamethrowers, Amira here. And we are continuing our Paralympic week here on Burn It All Down. Today, we are re-airing a conversation I had with my Penn State colleague, Dr. Jonna Belanger, who researches disability in sports, particularly sporting opportunities for youth with disabilities. She's also a National Paralympic Athletics Classifier. Back in 2018, uh, episode 44, we chatted in advance of the Para Winter Games. Uh, so I wanted to call her up, get a little bit of updates for the Summer Games, um, but so much of that interview is still very relevant to our coverage now. Um, so check it out. So the Paralympics is upon us, and I am delighted to be here today with Dr. Jonna Belanger, my colleague here at Penn State, and she's over in the Department of Kinesiology, where she works on adapted physical activity and disability sports awareness. And she is also a classifier for USA Track and Field Paralympics. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. So Paralympics is an event that we feel here at Brennan Aldown doesn't get as much coverage as it should, and also that we feel we don't know enough about. So when I heard you were a classifier for USA Track and Field Paralympics, I was like, I have to talk to her. So what does that mean? Can you tell us what classification is? Sure. So classification is actually like our backbone to the Paralympics. It provides us with a structure. The closest thing to think of is like if we look at traditional sports, you have the age and gender. Well, we just add a second layer, third layer actually of classification on there. And it allows the sport to be as fair and equitable as possible. So our goal with classification is to group people together based on function to find the most elite, highest functioning athlete within that group. An example would be like taking all athletes who have a below knee amputation and they run against each other. So they would be classed together. Every sport has a different system. It has to be based on evidence-based processes. And classification has changed quite a bit in the last 15 or so years. So we've gone away from like this medical model where you only have, you know, one class per athlete and they have the same class throughout all their sports. Now we have different classes per sport. So one athlete competing in like track and field and swimming would have different classes. So how did you come to be a classifier? I happenstance, I just kind of stumbled into it. I had a great experience with a family member who ended up with a disability. Um, and that's how my love for disability sport came in to play. And then I sought out as many volunteer opportunities as I could. I went to a great university that offers adaptive physical activity, which is really rare. There's not a lot of programs out there. Because they offer it, they had a lot of connections with the para sport world volunteered a lot through that, became a track and field, a para track and field official. Wasn't exactly my strength. So then I, you know, continued to work through the volunteer ranks until I met the right people to get me trained as a classifier. And I've been doing this for, I believe about five years wow. I've been classifying for the U.S. Now I'm just a, a U.S. classifier. I shouldn't say just, but um, <laughs> there are, so I'm the first layer I'm athletes that go through us, then if they want to compete internationally, they also go on and get classified internationally. Okay. So the classification process for athletes, do the, is it like, so they start at the sport that they want to compete in, in nationally so that they would see you. And what is that process like for them? Is it submitting materials? Is it, do they pick the classification and, or is it a discussion? Yeah, it is kind of a, 
a process that not a lot of people understand and it, it is evolving. So what I tell you right now is probably going to change, you know, <laughs> next year and the year after yeah. that. So first question, does an athlete start at national and then go on to international? There are some athletes that will just go straight on to international. Mm. In the U.S., that's not as common. In other countries where international is their only opportunity, that's more common. Mm. Every athlete that competes at the Paralympic level, when we start to look at the winter games or summer games, has to have an international class. Mm. They've moved now to where every athlete has a class before they get to the games. In the past, um, Rio was the first time, actually, that oh, they wow. put that in place. Yeah. In the past, they could get classed. At the games? At the games. Wow. Yeah. Um, which is intimidating if you're yeah. an athlete and you get there and you've been training at a certain class. We'll use my kind of area that I know. I know it's not a winter sport, but track <laughs> and field. If they train at, let's say, a, a T53, which is a seated athlete, typically spinal cord injuries, there's an impaired muscle power. Okay or impaired range of motion there, the next level up would be T54. And let's say they get to the international games and they're then classed at a T54. They have a whole different set of times they have to try to meet. Oh, wow. Um, so we try to get them classed prior to the games. And we try to class them as accurate as possible at the U.S. level or the national level. There's other national governing bodies that will cover that so that they're in the best possible seat. Wow. So how we do that, because that was your second <laughs> question, they they do submit paperwork. They have to submit medical documentation that they would have the minimal disability requirement. There is that set by the mm. International Paralympic Committee. There's 10 impairments that they can classify on, and there's minimal criteria for each one. They submit that to our U.S. national offices. They review it. And then local organizing bodies decide whether or not they want to host a panel. Mm -hmm. um, a panel is made up of a technical classifier and a medical classifier. Yeah. And that, again, is set by the IPC to decide what all is needed. On the U.S. level, we'll go with just a medical and a technical. Mm -hmm. On the international level, then they would also have a chief classifier in addition. So it's a panel of three there. We are hosted by the local organizing committee. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. Paralympics sends out and says, you know, we need a panel at these dates. And then we all decide what works within our schedule. We're spread all across the U.S. Right now there are, I believe there are four of us technical track and field classifiers. So oh, wow. Wonderful. That's a really small number. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that number to be so small. And then there are, I believe there's about 12 medical, but I wow. could be off on that. You're super important. <laughs> I'm, you, I'm specialized, but I don't know how important I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. So mm -hmm. it seems like uh, classification is such an important aspect of the Paralympic Games. Is there a major difference in how they work in summer or winter games? Or is it, as much as you know, is, is it a similar process and then the classifications are just different for sports? It is a similar process. So that is, again, set by the IPC. It, we call it our classification code mm -hmm. as to what we have to follow. Right. That's fairly new. The, the code went into place in 2007 to universalize classification itself. It is in its newest revision in 2015. I believe it might have gone through another revision after Rio, where they just update what is required. And the big things are that it's evidence-based, 
for each sport, Mm -hmm. that all of the athletes are given a fair opportunity. There's regulations on the process that has to be taken. Stuff like the panel, who can make up a panel, who is trained, Mm -hmm. is all set by the code. So that process is the same. It's an athlete evaluation. We do the bench test, which is they come in, they similar to a a medical test where they check power, range of motion, Mm. coordination, all of those items. And then we do a technical test and that's where I come in and I check to see how do they they move technically. And then we do a a sport observation as well. So we have to see them at at a competition. And that usually all happens at one time, Mm. at one setting. Wow. So they come in a little bit early for their events and go through the classification yeah. process that way. Yeah. So in terms of adapted technology, I read somewhere that the summer games, for whatever reason, were ahead of the winter games in terms of how they were using adaptive technology to get athletes to sports. And perhaps that is because of the type of sport that's played at the summer versus winter Olympics. Is there something that you see in your expertise that adapt of the kind of process of adaptive technology coming to the winter sports that lags behind the summer sports, if that makes sense? Like, is there a difference in how technology can be used in certain sports? That isn't my expertise area. I'm going to go ahead and just let you know that. But as far, I have some guesses as to what it might be. One, the Paralympics itself started more with summer sports. Mm -hmm. And so those have been around longer. And so the longevity there might be one of the reasons. There also are more sports in the summer and there's more classes in the summer. If you take track and field, there's 57 classes in track and field. It's one of the biggest. Swimming would be the second biggest, both summer sports. If we look at the winter sports, I believe alpine skiing, biathlon, and Nordic skiing all have the same classes. Mm -hmm. And there's standing, seated and visual impairment, they don't have intellectual disability in the winter games. Okay. So there's just fewer classes that might be what's driving some of the technology. But yeah, that'd be interesting to find out there. Right. So what does the Paralympic Games do to raise awareness about disabilities, abilities, ableism itself? The Paralympic Games, I think the greatest thing that they do is it really shows that these are just athletes. My biggest catch line I always say to my students and when I guest teach is sport is sport. So we're just taking a sport. We're adding a different piece of equipment. You know, the technology that you just talked about, you know, we're adding a sit ski or we're adding, you know, a wheelchair and curling, but it's still the same sport, just a unique set of rules that are evolved around that set of functional ability. And by doing that, it allows people to really attach to and connect with and understand that these are athletes. They're just athletes. They may have a disability included with that, but they're still an athlete. They train just as hard. They compete just as hard. They win gold medals just as well. And I think that is a unique aspect of the Paralympics. And their their whole motto is spirit in motion. You know, so they're looking at just showing that these athletes are in motion, um, kind of breaking down. One of my biggest pet peeves is this term wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. These athletes are not wheelchair bound. They move from a wheelchair to a sit ski to the floor to wherever. They're just people that move around and they use a different you know, set of equipment. 
So they don't have running spikes. They have a C, you know, leg instead of running spikes. So they're just, they're using different equipment, but still the same level of, of sporting ability. That's great. And and my last question, um, we talked a bit, we've on the show have talked a bit about marginalization and representation in the Olympics, particularly around race, class, uh, gender, and sexuality. So do we see similar patterns in the Paralympics? Is it something that um, we see a disproportionate amount of people who have access to resources competing? Is there a kind of racial demographic makeup that has similar patterns that we see across the summer and winter games? Yes, for sure. You know, there's always that issue of equality when it comes to sports. And I don't think there's anything that prohibits one set of equality from the Olympics into the Paralympics. So I think it's just another layer. If we look at gender, I know that a little bit better. They've increased at this Winter Paralympics. They The statistics is it's increased by 44%, but we're definitely not, you know, any different than the, the Olympics if we're looking at some of those intersectionalities of race, gender, you know, socioeconomic status, et cetera. There are some things that would be slightly different. There are some co-ed sports that we don't see co-ed in the Olympics. So we, we do have that, that is slightly different. But overall, I would say it's fairly similar. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's a pleasure to talk to you. This is Jana Belanger, um, just giving an update on the Paralympics and um, classification related to the Paralympics. Um, first, I just want to encourage everyone to, you know, watch um, the amazing coverage that we have this year. Um, it is unlike any coverage we've had in the past. And so I want to encourage everyone to really support that so that networks understand that this is um, something consumers want. For updates on classification, um, we know, you know, the pandemic had a huge impact on all athletes, Olympic and Paralympic. And I would say one of the big areas that there was an impact on Paralympic athletes was on getting classification in a safe and effective manner. Um, in the in the past, I shared that in Rio 2016, um, the there was a no classification at the Paralympic Games policy. They did, the International Paralympic Committee did actually lift that for Tokyo because of the impact of the pandemic. And they realized that there were sports that were just not able to effectively and safely um, get athletes classified. And they didn't want that to be a limiting factor. So for this games only, there's 10 sports that were allowed to have a classification panel there at um, there in Tokyo. Um, that will not be the case uh, for the next games. They will lift, they will change that. They will put that back in place. With the continued media coverage and support, I think we get a lot of different perspectives, which is great and very valuable. Um, some of them are, are athletes who are very upset with the classification process, and I think that would be very irresponsible for me to not recognize um, where they feel and validate that they feel that way. Um, it's definitely not a perfect system. I do feel that it's continued to be necessary so that we have opportunities for everyone. Um, I think there are some athletes that are just tricky. They don't fit perfectly within the system And I think um, athletes can have a very different process depending on the type of classification they go through. It's sport specific. So every sport's going to be slightly different. 
I only classify for athletics and track and field, so I only know our system um, and kind of what we do. But I do know and recognize that some athletes feel out of place, um, that the system doesn't have a place for them. Um, so I think we continue to push for good research. I think we can continue to push for understanding the system and, and um, classification. Um, track and field itself actually had some new testing put out uh, after 2016, 2018. So they retested all of their athletes within um, certain classes. Um, not a lot of athletes changed classes, but but in, as a whole, we feel like we have a better understanding of um, their actual class and we have a good fit for where they are. You know, I think it's, it's important that we continue to use uh, the Paralympics and classification as a method of opening doors. Um, a lot of athletes with disabilities only have one shot. They only have one sport, whereas my kids get to play many different sports. Um, so, so volunteering and giving our time to this mission is very important. Um, sports are important for these athletes. Um, and so making sure they have those opportunities. So I want to encourage if you, um, you know, take a little time to volunteer, um, you can start by looking at Move United. Um, it's uh, a U.S. based organization that has many different groups that you can look at all across the U.S. So if you're in Colorado, they've got somewhere for you out there. Um, so really, you know, giving our time to these athletes and helping support their mission, I think is very important. So thank you for letting me chat again. Um, go watch the Paralympics. Uh, it's very important that we, we show our support for these elite athletes.